everybody welcome back to another edition of the untitled jeff gluck podcast i'm your host jeff gluck and it's of course a very 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 special edition of the podcast because i'm joined by both nate ryan from nbc sports and nick bromberg from yahoo sports excuse my voice guys i'm <coughs> fighting off a little bit of a daytona gunk cold here but uh tell you what there was no daytona gunk out there tonight because <laughs> we saw a very interesting uh daytona 500 uh, Nate, I guess why don't we start with your impressions of what we saw out there? Oh, well, first, wonderful transition. I just want to say it's a pleasure to be here, but I'm sorry that once again we're in Daytona and you're sick, <laughs> yeah. just like you were for the Rolex. So uh, the racing was sick uh, <laughs> for the first transition. maybe 180, 190 laps, I thought. And then, sadly, as uh, we just heard Kyle Busch say, um, a lot of brains got disconnected from the right foot over the last 17 laps as it went in overtime. And I think that, unfortunately, put a damper on what could have been a really stellar Great American race. Yeah, it's it's funny. Um, I, I kind of see where you're coming from on that because, you know, like halfway through the race, it's like, oh, this is really good. This is surprisingly good. Um, three quarters of the way through the race. Oh, this is getting like really great. You know, like this has borderline, um, you know, you, you have a better memory than I do, but borderline potential to be like pretty epic if this finishes well. And then it turned into a truck race at the end, Nick. It was the truck race from Friday night, all condensed into 12 laps. Pretty much. <laughs> you know, that's, and yeah. that's the problem with this is we had an entertaining 170, 180 laps. And then you have the staccato start to finish in the last 12 where you, right when NASCAR, you know, talk about all the TV ratings and attendance as you want, right? We need a big TV audience, red flag, red flag. And there's nothing NASCAR can do about it. When you crash all these cars, that's what happens. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it ultimately, you know, I, I guess it's maybe better than the alternative, which would have been um, like if there had been a boring, like the single file parade that we were worried about for 175 laps. Um, and then like, you know, I, I don't know. It was it was it better that there was some something to talk about in the first part of the race before I, this all this wrecking? And the first stage stunned me because everybody was expecting what we were going to see single file parade or at least a lot of single file racing. And I bet you there were maybe five laps of the first sixty that were run sixty uh, single file. It was mainly two packs of cars, guys dicing and driving really hard, and. For the most part, I, I think with the exception of maybe one three or four car wreck, no wrecks. And that's what was just so, uh, as Nick said, I mean, that's what's frustrating about this is because I, I think this could have been, despite all the gloom and doom coming into this race about, oh, it's going to be a parade, single file racing. Like it had the potential from the first race, the first stage being really action packed, the second stage having a lot of strategy intrigue. And the final stage, I think, was shaping up to be a really good great american race and then unfortunately as nick said the last 15 laps felt a lot like friday where you just um you had guys driving over their head what was different about it this time is these weren't inexperienced truck drivers these were the self-proclaimed greatest drivers in the world that were making these really optimistic and sometimes ridiculous <laughs> moves unfortunately but i i sort of get it it's the biggest race of the year i'm almost visibly i, I cannot believe i cannot comprehend Clint Boyer's move on Michael. The Dell. Boyer move. I, I, wow. I understand. I understand <laughs> he had to run. I get it. He goes three wide between. Do, Nate, was he touching the yellow line at all? He was. I. I think he would have been penalized if he if the wreck hadn't happened. He had the two left tires were 
they were at least on or, in, or below the O-line enough for there to be a discussion about, was that a legal pass? So maybe just Clint self-penalized himself because he and everybody and, else. <laughs> he took out, what, 10 more cars? But he was not clear, and I don't even know if he was close to clear. It looks close, but in NASCAR terms, I'm not sure he was that close to being clear when he tried to move up in front of McDowell and then Kablooey. Well, and earlier in the race, maybe, I don't know, 20 laps before that, he tried a very dicey move and cut right down in front of Logano. Right. And Logano kind of let him in. Like, Boyer was, like, going for stuff out there. Um, It's just kind of funny how, like, if that had been a truck series driver or an ARCA driver, we would have been all over it like, geez, these guys don't know what they're doing or something. Well, speaking of, let's make sure nobody gets off the hook here (laughs) from those those final three cautions. I mean, Stenhouse. This is going to be largely forgotten. But Ricky Stenhouse Jr.'s move... You know, he took a lot of guff last year for some, again, overly optimistic moves in the draft in 2018. He's a two-time plate winner at Talladega, but, or I'm sorry, Talladega in here, but um, he just, he's a good plate driver, but man, you can just, you can see it, the desperation is driving. He must not feel right now as if Roush Fenway still, I mean, remains to be seen, who knows, maybe he'll go to Atlanta and be solid, but he still looks as plate races, plate races as the golden ticket to getting to the playoffs and for him to make that move and it collected Harvick and took out Harvick who had been biding his time the whole race was my pick to win I thought he was there he apparently did not talk to the media and I suspect that he may have seen the replay when he sees that replay I don't think Kevin Harvick is going to be too happy with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Yeah well and and you could even extend this further I think um, up until I know we're kind of jumping around but talking about maybe moves that weren't so great Michael McDowell was passionately defending himself on pit road saying, look, I got to stick for myself. But, you know, we just heard uh, we we just came from the the interview room where Kyle Busch and Joey Logano both kind of unhappy with McDowell. They both thought his move was kind of dumb and didn't help anybody. Um, And they were like Kyle Busch even made like a sound effect to indicate that McDowell just like slammed on the brakes and wasn't giving anybody a push. You know what I mean? That's the funny thing about the whole McDowell situation. I get. He's in the position that Stenhouse is. You've got to win at a plate track to get have any shot of the playoffs. He wasn't going to win coming off turns three and four in the final lap. He was looking at second, third, fourth, and instead of working with anybody, according to Logano and Kyle Busch, he worked with nobody. And, and you know, if he's going to work with somebody, we enter this race talking about how the teammates, Ford, they're all going to work together. Well, pick Joey Logano then. He didn't even pick him, and Logano was upset after the race about it. Right. Logano said he was very surprised, but, I mean, McDowell was, like, defiant. You know, he said, like, Logano had damage. I'm going to go with the one who has the best chance to win. But Kyle Busch didn't feel like he got any help from McDowell, though. And I think McDowell's car had a little bit of damage, too. And Logano's car, even with damage, was still damn fast. Yeah, no, it was. He, I thought, uh, I thought, oh, we're going to see a repeat of the duels uh, all of a sudden where he's going to make some move at the end on Hamlin. I thought Logano was going to have a shot there. When he got to third, I was like, okay, how is Logano going to pick off Kyle Busch and then get to first? And I think had somebody like McDowell or somebody else worked with him, that would have happened. But since he had nobody working with him on that whatever lap it was, that was not the white flag lap. If he had somebody work for him, then he does it. But since he didn't have that, it was Hamlet. Fords besides those two guys, right? Right. They were the only two Fords left. So, And then you had two Toyotas kind of – and that was interesting too. sounded like from Kyle Busch's perspective – Denny Hamlin wanted to play the teammate game when it was convenient to him. Right. And then Kyle Busch acquiesced when it wasn't convenient to Denny Hamlin. And so you have to wonder if the roles are reversed here. Is Denny Hamlin saying the same thing about Kyle Busch? Because it's that, it's that balancing line of every man for himself and, and working for the benefit of the team and the brand. 
Well, as we say goodbye to this restrictor plate package and the plates themselves, it is kind of funny how there was like, uh, you know, there's like the Mont- Montezuma's revenge. And this was like the restrictor plate revenge to soil the end of that race <laughs> there. You know what I mean? But like, um, it, it's just fascinating how ultimately I think like this sort of era, this package started out, we, we came into it as everybody talking about crapshoot, crapshoot, Trevor Bain kind of stuff after the tandem was done. And then ultimately it turned out that of all these races, it was usually the same guys up there at the end. And here again at the finish, it's Joey Logano, who was great at plate racing in this package, Denny Hamlin, and Hamlin fends him off for uh, another Daytona 500 win, Nate. Yeah, we've said it before. We've heard Brad Kozlowski say it a lot, that as much as we talk about the random nature of restrictor plate racing, and there is a total randomness to it, it is true, anybody can win this race, but it usually comes down to the same five to ten guys because not all of them, for the most part, are going to wreck. And that was true to me again tonight. Like, and the guys who, well, I guess where did you had um, Hamlin, Bush, Jones, and then was Logano fourth? Logano fourth. Okay. So in my mind, the three best plate drivers who were still running finished in the top four. And Jones had a good night as well, rebounded from a huge problem. But to me, Bush, Hamlin, and Logano were your three best plate drivers. And we saw it over the last couple of restarts. They're they're better than everybody else. Like no offense to Michael McDowell, and no offense to Ryan Priest, who had an outstanding Daytona 500 debut as a rookie, missed some big wrecks, kept him his nose clean for the most part, and was around at the finish to get that top ten. You just it, it's a random race, but there is still a lot of skill involved with figuring out how to navigate the draft, how to avoid the wrecks, how to put yourself in the right position. And that's kind of, I have a love-hate relationship with plate racing. I hate it at Talladega for the most part because, to me, it's, there's too many wrecks. Um, and for the most part, Daytona usually doesn't unfold that way. And that's probably partially why I'm disappointed, as you said, about the end of the plate era to have three uh, cautions and two large multi-car pileups with two red flags that kind of killed the, the rhythm at the end. Yeah. Well, at least in McDowell's case, I mean, you know, he's been consistently decent at times or his best runs have come on plate tracks you know too but um let's talk about uh before we get to hamlin i guess we should probably give him some credit in in a minute but um priest you you mentioned priest dude those two uh those two runs that he had to get through rex that was uh amazing stuff and um i i think it's seemingly pure luck but he was actually giving some credit on on pit road afterwards to saying that the way he came up like not wanting to damage cars and things like that and and respecting team owners like he thinks that that helped him avoid wrecks because he's so focused on not hitting anything there's some priest's wreck avoidance on those two crashes leaves something to be said for just keeping the car pointed in a straight line and slowing down gradually and not stomping on the brakes and making any aggressive moves because that got him through the, ra- the both crashes. That's not going to work every single time, but how many times do you see a guy slams on the brakes, gets hit from behind, or he tries to swerve and ends up spinning out and gets collected by another crashing car? Priest kept the car pointed straight and worked out both times for him. And I would, I would just I, I had a chance to talk to him a little bit more, and he was looking up at the replay while a group of like eight or ten of us were, were talking to him. He was third on the white flag lap, and you could just see like the, the wheels spinning in his head about like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. We were asking him like uh, somebody, I think Kelly Crandall asked him straight up, you know, why did you um, go with Logano? And he was like, basically didn't have a great answer. It was kind of like, well, Joey, I know Joey. We're both from Connecticut. Um, <laughs> he's a really good plate driver. And yeah. you could just see like the inexperience uh, kind of came up there. He just, and 
how could he know how to run the end of a restrictor plate race? Joey Logano's debut here came 10 years ago. This was Ryan Priest's first. Well, and he would, it looked like Priest might have had a run because, like you said, he was third and then he finished eighth. Um, but then it looked, he like tried to block Eric Jones and like Eric uh, Jones even like bumped him and Priest had to go all the way down and then he just loses all his momentum. He stalled out Jones' momentum briefly and then Jones got back up. But um, between Priest kind of like uh, not, you know, worrying about the guy behind him too much and not trying to push forward and McDowell doing whatever he did to not help sort of either driver in, in their view. Um, that that kind of stalled out all the energy that anybody would have had to catch Denny Hamlin, it seems like. But um, so speaking of Denny Hamlin now, two-time Daytona 500 champion. Um, guy didn't win at all last year, comes right out, wins the new crew chief. Does this say anything about Hamlin, his season? Does this, you know, redeem him in any way? How much credit does Hamlin get for calling his shot on Wednesday? He didn't directly say that he was going to come out and win the Daytona 500, but he said, you know what, powered i'm driven to prove the narrative is wrong that we're in a team in decline we want to win early we want to win often well he's now obviously locked into the chase and then it's this weird coincidence that three years after his first day 10 500 win happens first race with the new crew chief i mean that's we can get to the other crazy factor in the moment but that's very odd to know yeah, I, I would say that uh, that is evidence of Denny Hamlin's swagger, Nick, and that was missing a lot last year. It seems like he's started to get it back. He has to get it back. This is not a contract year for him as far as I know, but he has to win. I think like the footsteps are there, and this is a great start for him to do this. I think what's funny about Hamlin is that for the first eight or nine years of his career, the knock on him was that he wasn't a good plate driver. And now, like the last five years, he's got two Daytona 500 wins. I know he's won Talladega, too. He... Um, Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, I feel like those three, I mean, is there anybody else in the class of those three right now at these types of tracks? To me, I, I put those guys up there. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, and But speaking of which, I mean, Brad Keselowski had a terrible, terrible day. I mean, he was uh, really terrible speed weeks. I mean, if you think about like the penalty that he had, the roof hatch in the Xfinity race, um, just everything, everything seemed to go wrong for Brad Keselowski and he wasn't even a factor and um, yet he still milked out like a, what, a 12th or a 13th point yeah. place finish in this race because so many cars crashed. He had a flat tire with 12 laps to go and then ends up, he missed the first big crash because he was so far behind. I think he got the free pass, ends up getting caught in a couple other wrecks and still had his cars beat up all to hell, but still ended up finishing 12th. Well, and, and there's a lot to be said too. I mean, almost like the truck race mentality where, you know, anybody that did not wreck at all in the truck race, if you just kept your stuff, you would have guaranteed a top 10 finish. Ross Chastain pretty much like held back to just knock at himself in wrecks and he finished top 10 bj mcleod finished 19th after that absolutely really? crazy and bizarre uh pit road wreck with the cody shane Ware. yeah that is amazing i mean kozlowski is amazing too because with like what 20 to go he was 30th or something after he had the tire problem yeah. um I got a chance to talk to Chastain. I'll have a story up on NBCSports.com about this. Uh, he talked about how, I mean, think about this. He ran three straight races and didn't wreck a car. Wow. He was in that truck wow. race and finished third or yeah. fourth. I think he went third, 13th, 10th <laughs> in Speed Week. He didn't, yeah, he didn't wreck the Xfinity race. He didn't wreck today. Uh, and he talked about this. This will be in the story. He was close to possibly being replaced in the Cup Series race by Jay Robinson because Robinson had some other offers for some drivers who are bringing more money. So great story there. Great, great for Ross Chastain, uh, Chastain especially after the offseason he had. Um, let's talk about more great stories before we go here because I think that it's worth mentioning Matt Benedetto. I mean, the guy looked like he was going to have a chance at, at a top five, maybe better. I mean, he 
maybe it was one of the fastest cars here. And Paul Menard, who starts off Speed Weeks pointing the finger at Jimmy Johnson by saying, Jimmy does this a lot at plate tracks, ended up triggering the huge one at Daytona in the 500 uh, to ruin De Benedetto's day. But, I mean, pretty good for De Benedetto. You know, I th- for him, you got to hope that it, his 2019 Daytona 500 is not going to be like it was for Daryl Wallace, where you should put on a good show, De Benedetto didn't get the good finish, and then the rest of the season goes poorly so right. you know we'll see where lfr is compared to where they were last year and also too i honestly think william byron acquitted himself well especially in that third stage the wrecks that he was caught up in were not of his own doing he got snookered in the first stage losing the lead by yeah. logano coming out i mean it was so great to watch logano just he worked in perfectly and gone right but then byron learned and he maintained his lead for what he led 30 some laps yeah, didn't he yeah. and logano did it to his teammate too uh, Bowman, like same right. thing. Like it was, it was a rough st- first stage for the the Hendrick uh, rookie and and uh, Bowman being like a third year driver. Uh, as Nick said, Logano. It was that's that to me is like great plate racing is being able to appreciate. We can watch a, a master of the draft like Logano just like Jedi mind trick these other younger experienced drivers into you will take that lane and I'm going to pass you on the outside. Bye. Yeah, it's it's Logano's like oh yeah uh, you think I'm going to follow you but no actually I'm going to leave you stranded in the middle. Bye. Yeah. It's it's just amazing and and but we, you know all three of us were were sitting up in the in the press box watching it we're like boy these Hendrick guys uh, the, the young drivers but it's just ugh, this is not not great for them and like you said I mean Byron I mean he looked decent by then looked like he was learning so um, just a weird race and of course now uh, there's nothing you know we were talking about Logano Hamlin Kozlowski the Masters of the stuff there's who knows there may be nothing we can ever apply beyond this day because Talladega will be a completely different package now in Daytona and beyond no more plates different rules who knows how it's going to look I, this is that's the fascinating part to me we talk about how Brad Joey and Denny are the top three guys right now are they going to stay the top three guys as the season goes on that's a big question is how much does the new rules with the tapered spacer and then obviously the more downforce on the cars going forward at the three quote-unquote plate tracks how much is that going to change what we know as plate racing and, and i think it's going to be like a month or two at least before we we get a good sense of it about who's good and who's not and uh I, I still think the best drivers will be near the top, but it could be a little bit of a shuffling, and you could see guys struggling to adapt, like much like we've seen veterans to uh, you know, struggle adapting to a new tire. And you know, to your point, Jeff, I, I think Talladega will be the same type of race. Like, I, I, it's the end of the plate era, like uh, nominally at least. Like, there's no more restrictor plate, but I think NASCAR wants this type of racing, wants this type of package. I think they'll get it with the tapered spacer in a different way, but I don't. I'd be surprised if it looks drastically different than what we've seen in the last 30 years of the player. See, I, I actually, you're shaking your head, Nick. I think you agree with Nate, you're saying. But I, I, this is where I kind of differ with you guys because I feel like every even small tweak that they make to a, a plate package, or I don't know what we're going to call it now. We can't call them plate tracks anymore. Whatever. Um, Let's think about that. Yeah. They're always going to be plate tracks. No, there's going to be no plates, though. But I think we're still going to call them plate tracks. I guess, we, for lack of a better term, super speedways. Um, but... I think that, like, even look how much the no ride height rule changed uh, how the how the drafting was, where you weren't really having the guy block and block and defend anymore, like there was when Dale Jr. was around. I mean, just for, since he retired, it's changed um, with that rule. So, I think at Talladega, all of a sudden, it's gonna where everybody's nobody's gonna know anything. There's gonna be a tire test here tomorrow and the next day, I think, with a few cars. But until Talladega practice starts. It's going to be a total crapshoot, and then it'll be unknown in the race. So I think it's going to be different. It'll be a whole new style. I almost think that you have to close this chapter 
on on this plate era and, and a whole new one starts and the the guys who i've been the best are the ones that are the absolute best at manipulating the side draft and with this larger spoiler going to be on the cars going forward it's going to be interesting to see just how much the side draft if it disappears for a while and then comes back a little bit or if that massive spoiler is going to make almost the slingshot an effect a little more important than trying to get on that guy's left or right rear quarter panel and then shooting forward I'll just add real quickly. I mean, NASCAR made another change that a lot of you didn't talk about, but I think the teams refer to it as like reverse skew. And from what I understand, that affected handling a little bit. I don't know if they'd consider something like that for Talladega, but I'll just throw out there that and the tandems are a great example of it. NASCAR has a way of getting the racing the way they want it. <laughs> and if, if they go to Talladega and they have a different type of race than what fans are used to seeing, and there is a outcry of holy hell on social media like there was after the tandem racing began in 11 and that was gone within a year and i think if that happens at daytona you're right jeff we won't know till we get there but uh if it's not what fans have come to expect and if they voice their displeasure i think you'll see nascar react to that well we're recording this on uh, on deadline now so we're gonna wrap it up and let you guys get back into the media room we've we haven't even heard from the winner yet but we wanted to get you guys uh your thoughts and appreciate you joining us of course you can follow uh nick bromberg with his negative stat of the day on, t- on twitter i will Trademarked. try not to make too many enemies of the people uh and his stuff's on yahoo sports and uh nate ryan um of course you can follow both his writing and see him on tv as well as the excellent nascar and nbc podcast nate. shout out to nick's enemies and uh thanks for having me always a pleasure and get well soon Thank you. Yeah. And for the for those of you who are listening, uh, the next 12 questions interview coming out on Tuesday is going to be with Kyle Larson. So stay tuned to that. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Gluck podcast.